What up, everybody? It is 10 a.m. in the District of Columbia. You are listening to Beamich and Finley. Good going? morning, Brian. Before you keep going. Uh-oh. Who's that dude? Trying to figure that out. Um, I know that guy. Landfill, we get And I know this intern? guy, and I was with him all week. I think we got a he new has a, intern. He has an alter ego, too. Here, this one here right here. <laughs> but who the hell is that dude? Uh, well, that's Jim. That's Jim. Jim, Jim Andrew Mullins. This, and you're JP. Yes, we're both James. And I'm B-Mitch. Right. I, Who's that dude? He looks tired. Look like sweater man. He hasn't worked in a week. His sweater's incredibly tight. Hold up. Hold Is it up, a new hold intern? Up, hold up. Landfill, did we get a new intern? <laughs> Just because y'all that, was that, having that, fun in Arizona guy, does not that mean that we uh, wasn't in and gave us a strange name that we had to drop it for? That's true. <laughs> not only did Jeff just not come to work for two days, he also prank called the show. No, prank called no, the show. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I let Drab know I would be out those two days. I actually let him know I'll be out three days. Uh, I don't know about all that. You say you told us. You didn't tell us. Yeah. Bro, we've talked about me going on tour on this air. No? You never said I was going to be <laughs> we out. We have talked about you going on tour, but I had no idea the dates. Yeah, and no idea the dates, and I never heard I won't be there. And the only thing you I know would what's add, crazy? Jeff, well, I, and I think you've seen it from me and from Brian and, and, and Jim. The way our show operates <laughs> during football season, unless it's the commander's bye week, we're here. We're here. Oh, hold on, JP. Hold on, JP. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're I'm on not. the air, whether no, you're in not. this chair or not. No, this <laughs> is your highest completion percentage <laughs> in the history of the show. He's Pat Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, you Jeff. You took off the day before and the day after the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I I'm didn't just even, pointing that out. I didn't even get to watch the Super Bowl uh, except for the last play. I turn it on. And I'm like, oh, they kicking a field goal, and yeah, what the hell were you doing, bro? It's, There's no concerts going on during the Super Bowl. Man, yes, it is. New York Fashion Week was crazy. Oh, New York Fashion Week, they got um, all kind of stuff going on. I ended up, I ended up in the Ritz Carlton, uh, fashion show, looking at it. Hold on, you were not in it, like walking, oh, okay. but I, I about ended to up say. like. I about like, to say in the building, which was pretty cool. It was my first like fashion show of that caliber. Like it was crazy. Um, who but, who was the most popular model you met? The most well, I met this. Uh, her her name is Caroline. She's a stylist for Glamour Brazil. I I was just randomly talking to her on the train, and she's like, "Yeah, you're cool. Give me a follow." I style artists and people all over the world. It's New York Fashion Week, so everybody is saying that. Mm -hmm. And when we go to follow each other, this lady is really, like, popping. She has, like, 120K followers. Every post she drop is, like, flooded with people and of that's in the fashion industry. Let's get um, to the get to all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she cute? We well, you know yeah, what? Of course. All Jeff, right. I'm glad you had Was a nice Was the body trip. banging? <laughs> I'm sitting there and tell me all that, that mediocre yeah. crap. We can be all that. And, um, Jeff, we're glad you're tour. back, and it took you six minutes to derail the show. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, the biggest news today for for us, and we're going to have Barry Sferluga join us in a few minutes to talk about Ted Lerner yes. and his impact on the city and the Nats. And what's the future of them? Exactly. You got to wonder yes. how this all kind of fits in as the Nats kind of are up for sale. 
it's pretty wild that in our city, two of the four major teams are up for sale. Yeah. And one dude owns the other two. There you go. And I think the one dude was thinking about trying to get involved with the one of the other teams. <laughs> right. It, it's a lot of moving yeah. parts, man. But, you know, it's a lot. And this it, it has changed since I got here in 90. And I am hoping, you know, at least, even back then, they were, it was just a Caps the Wiz, well, the Bullets at the time, and the Redskins. Redskins were winning a lot. Bullets were very, very, uh, you know, competitive. Caps got better once Ovi came, but everything was interesting. Right now, it's interesting in a different way. And I think we need to get it back to that that success level at least. Right. I mean, if you think about what is interesting about the Nats is a sale. And and honestly, I, I've said this especially to like my friends that are into baseball. I can't remember a championship team that was dismantled that quickly. Yeah. Maybe the Marlins after the Marlins had success, because I think the Marlins have won twice and they just tore everything apart. And then obviously with the Commanders, it's the sale. But they've also got plenty of on-field news that we're trying to... I I think we're both trying to prioritize the on-field stuff with the football team. Because when you've got a defensive head coach, and really if you look at their front office, I mean, Mayhew is a corner. They've got a, a lot of expertise on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Jack Del Rio being in the building, a former head coach, a guy that was a DC of one of the greatest defenses ever, um, or was he linebackers coach? Because Marvin was a DC for that Ravens team, yeah. And then Jack got the job coach. after that, yeah. right? Um, but all of those things, the Commanders desperately need an offense coordinator. I don't. I'm not so worried about the timeline, but you've got a young quarterback. You've got a quarterback with 11 completions. He needs to as his much name. time with the new coordinators he can. Right. He needs to start learning and. Listen, there are restrictions on what these guys are allowed to do on the field. There are restrictions what they're allowed to do on the field, but you know what? There are ways to get around all that If you don't think an offensive coordinator would be sending tape back and forth via iPad. Before all this stuff came about, Jay, when I became, started hitting that fourth, fifth, sixth year, I was able to get information to guys that needed it, that wasn't supposed to have it. You know, Let's be real. The NFL needs to get off of the crap. As a veteran player or whatever, I need you to catch up. You, you're somebody they telling me is going to be important for our team. And you think I'm not going to try to get you some information? Or I shouldn't be able to, to go and talk with you? Like the, the, the one thing I, it, it, I will never understand, I'm a professional athlete. And I can't go to the building where I'm supposed to get myself better for till when? And then if I go somewhere else to make sure I keep myself in shape, I get hurt there, then you don't want to pay me? You know, it's some of the dumbest archaic things in the world, but they need to figure out a way. But I say this. I don't care if the coaches that are, have the expertise or defensive coaches, they have to change their mindset some. As much as they know how to shut down an offense, they need to learn how offenses work. You know, two of the greatest coaches ever, Tom Landry, Bill Belichick, you know what they do? They're involved with all three phases of the the team. I'm not talking about just sitting in the meeting. They understand what's going on. Joe Gibbs knew what was going on. Andy Reid knows what's going on. 
these coaches that just stick to one side of the ball, that's a detriment to the football team. Because those guys that only on the defense that want to start to implement their opinions into offensive stuff, you screw it up if you don't understand. Either, I think we both believe that Ron got involved with Scott on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, yeah. I think it's fairly. It seems obvious. Yeah. And that offense had limitations. Carson was bad. Heineke was fine. I mean, you have limitations. You don't have a dynamic offense, right? Yeah. If I'm Ron and I'm not. Either hire a coach that's going to do what you want or hire a coach you believe can get it done in his own way. Mm-hmm. But don't hire a coach that's not going to do what you want and then bring him here and force him to do what you want. Yeah. Like, th- there are ways for this to work. But if you, you've got to think, even though Eric Bieniemy was a stud running back, that, that's what he played mm-hmm. in college and in the pros. When he was at Colorado, they won a national championship. Then he played for the Chargers. He's a stud running back. But you got to believe coming out of that chief system for this many years, it's unlikely he's going to be this two to one run pass guy Ron wants. Yeah. Now, two to one number is fake. Let's all be real. And I think they should have never said that. Because they've tried tried to back it up since they said it. I think it was kind of a one off little quip. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that is not the plan. That's not the plan in the modern NFL. But and and generally, if you do run the ball two to one, it's because you beat the hell out of somebody and you're just running the ball in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that'd be a great problem to have. But it, or if you get a game where you come out and the first handoff goes for forty, and the second one goes for twenty, you go they can't stop the run. Let's just run it on them all day. The game would be over in like two hours and fifteen minutes, which I would love. But that's the only time you get those opportunities. But if you want, if you want a run first team, if you want a smash mouth type of organization, then don't you want Greg Roman? I would think. And if if you've missed the news today. Greg Roman, the former Ravens offense coordinator, former 49ers offense coordinator, former Bills offense coordinator, is interviewing with the commanders for the open offense coordinator spot. Dude, if you look at where his rushing offenses rank, mm-hmm. he's been an offensive coordinator for 10 years. Okay. In 10 years as an OC, guess the worst in yardage. Guess the worst his teams have finished in rush yardage. In 10 years, I'll go number 11. About eight. Damn. Even your worst is in the top 10? His worst is top 10. That's good. And then you go (laughs) the Bills, 15-16. Both were number one rushing offenses. Lands with the Ravens in 2019. First rushing, the top rushing offense in 19 Top rushing offense in 20, the third rushing offense in 21, the second rushing offense in 22. And you could say a lot of that's Lamar in Baltimore. A lot of it is. I mean, a lot of it is Lamar, so I would think that. But Lamar also missed a lot of games, man. He missed a lot of games, but you know what? When he's there, he, he makes a lot of plays. And I think 
you have to make sure you understand they were doing 207 yards sometimes a game. Totally. You got to understand, if you don't have a quarterback of that capability, you're going to drop off some. In 21 and 22, Lamar missed 10 games. Mm-hmm. Now, Huntley can move, too. Yes. You know, um, there's so much with this Roman thing that people are concerned about the development of the offense, the development of the wide receivers. I feel like there's this assumption that Howell's just going to be a stud quarterback. Yeah. Like, it's entirely possible to win games, they're going to need Howell to run. And Howell, nobody's Lamar, but Howell can move, dude. I mean, he had, I think, 850 rush yards his senior year at Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's athletic. He's quick. He's, he's pretty sturdily built. I, you know, I, I don't have the fear of him taking – you don't want a lot of quarterbacks taking a lot of hits. Yeah. But I think he can handle himself a but little I, bit. I think he can handle himself, but I think but we should never, ever think he can do the things Lamar did. And Nobody I think on the planet. 800 yards in college in that division is far different than 800 yards in this division. I don't think <laughs> – I don't think anybody on the planet believes. But, they, and, but this is the question I want to ask. Because I know I've heard a lot of people say top receivers wouldn't go to Baltimore because of Lamar. Let me take that one step further. You think they don't go because they understand Greg's offense? That's a fair question. But my counter to that would be mm-hmm. the receivers are already here. Terry's yeah. under contract and Dotson's in the second year of a five-year deal. Yeah, And Curtis has another year. So... You don't have to worry about getting new ones. You got them. You got to worry about getting new ones, but you know what? If you don't utilize what you have, then that's a problem. But they say if you don't use it, you lose it. So that has to be something that I would hope that they're thinking in their mind, like how can he really make these receivers better? Because the RPO, I think, with Lamar as a quarterback, allows some free runs, and he would hit some people occasionally over the top. I think. Our tight end is nowhere close to what their tight end up there is. I just would need, like to know how is he going to make sure the passing game advances. We got two legitimate running backs. We have receivers that are legitimate. But how is he going to do it? Is that something he's capable of? Because most of his stuff comes consistently off of the play action, especially when you got like the way Lamar runs, you have more people focusing to the line of scrimmage than being able to drop back and check the receivers. Yeah, I agree with all that. The The one thing that stands out to me is in Greg Roman's career, by and large, in his career as an offense coordinator, you had a Super Bowl team in the 2012 Niners, playoff teams three out of four years when he was with San Fran, I'd have to look. Landfill, can you look up the 15 and 16 Bills if they were playoff teams? I know one of those teams was with, um, I think, Tyrod as their quarterback, and they lost to the Jaguars in, in like a god-awful 7-3 wildcard game. And then his time with the Ravens from 17 to 22, mm-hmm. I, I think you had a whole lot of playoff teams. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you can't say that's all Greg Roman. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, but his that, team, that, the teams he's calling plays for. Yeah, I understand that. Tend but to win. We we can understand that he could be calling plays and they're winning. It could be not just because of his calling. 
Let's but, not let's not let's not look at I, it like. But he's not be, hurting them either. I understand, but it, we can't make it seem like he's an automatic playoff thing. That's that'd be a little little false hope to give to people. Uh, the Bills did not make the playoffs in fifteen or sixteen. Okay. They went eight and eight and seven and nine. Okay, so perfect for Ron Rivera. <laughs> How about this though? Keep this one in mind too. By and large, he's been on teams that win, and if. Ron believes the best path to a 10-win season for his commanders is to run the hell out of the football. Who better than this guy? All right. Maybe that's the wrong path. (laughs) I'll just say all right. But what do you think the right path is, B? I think the right path is to get somebody that could come here and utilize the talents that you have. And right now you have set yourself up to be a passing offense with running backs that are very capable, capable, you have a guy who could be a batterer in uh, in, in Brian Robinson. Okay, when you go to uh, Antonio Gibson, he can do multiple things. You don't want to become just a dominant run team. You got you got three receivers that are absolutely legit. Okay, you want to take the ball out of their hands and not utilize them. You just gave one guy that seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year. You don't want to take. You want him to be able to use. With the talents he has. So, yes, I would like to see him run the ball in certain situations. When they get late in the game and you need first downs, I don't want to see no open them, open back, I mean, an empty backfield, split out wide, and you're throwing the ball. No, it's fourth and one, third and one, run the damn football. And I think they should, that you, you, you do that by getting a better offensive line. But I understand what Greg has done, and he's done those things in situations where. He was, that's a defensive-led team up there in Baltimore. But they get, bring in Lamar, and then he's a, he's a damn joker. You know, he, he can do multiple things, and he makes your offense go a little better, especially in the run game. He can't come here thinking he could do with Lamar, with, with uh, Howell, and I know Howell is athletic. He's nowhere close to a Lamar Jackson. Nobody is. He's nowhere close to a Josh Allen, you know. But his things he can do. But this guy's going to have to figure out a way to make sure – what you have invested your money in, and that's receivers. You got to find a way to utilize their talents first, and then you bring that running game along, make it better than what it was. Well, and I mean, what was the biggest problem for this offense beyond quarterback was offensive line. Yeah, are you going to really go all in on a team where you're not sure about the O line? But yeah, I'm not sure how many other interviews he's getting, so he might be willing to look past that. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Barry Sverluga will join us next. We're going to talk a little commanders, but want to want to check in with Barry about Ted Lerner's passing and what his legacy is for Washington, D.C. sports fans. Don't go anywhere. B. Mitch and Finley, 1067 The Fan. My voice is slowly coming back. That's what Biagi told me this morning. I feel like I'm getting there. What do you think, B? Uh, not really. I think I am. I think uh, you're, you're still a little bit off of it because normally you have that little raspy anyway. Yeah. You know, but... You kind of strained it a little bit. A little bit. couple more days, good sleep, low-key. Let's see what Barry's for Luga has to say. Barry's for Luga, sports columnist for the Washington Post. I, I'd argue nobody in our city is more tied into the Washington Nationals, and that's not to take away from all the other great work you do covering commanders and caps and whiz and colleges and everything else, but Barry knows the Nats inside and out. Barry, thank you for joining us, dude. Appreciate it, Barry. Let, let's start here. What is the legacy of Ted Lerner? Did you smoke a pack of cigarettes before you came on? <laughs> not, not today. Not today. Okay. All right. So, um, 
it's a good I like to question. eat gravel. <laughs> it is a good question. It is a fair question. I think it is a complicated question. And I also think that it's a little strange because for a guy who lived 97 extremely full years, um, I think it's a legacy that's still fluid because um, I was looking back at some notes for that I, from a, you know interviews I had done for a Ted Lerner profile in 2019 as they were going into the World Series. Um, Ted was famously private. He wouldn't sit down and talk to me, not in a rude way, but just in a I don't want the spotlight on me kind of way. Um, so I, I went like to everybody that. else. Yeah, sort of uh, other MLB owners and his family members and, and all that kind of stuff, people who had worked for him. And, and one thing that comes through as I've reread those notes is this is a guy who bought and built to hold on to things. And so when you cast that against the fact that as he dies, um, his family and he was behind this decision and, and supportive of this decision was you know, actively pursuing a sale of the Nationals. And, and one thing I thought about Ted Lerner and the Lerner's stewardship of the baseball team is, um, well, they've done a million good things uh, and obviously built a winner that not only resulted in a, a World Series championship, but for a decade had teams that headed to spring training with the, the you know, the intent on winning one, right. um, won four division titles, all that kind of stuff. Um, I always wondered whether they fully understood the kind of civic institution that a professional sports team is mm -hmm. supposed to be, that, that a baseball team in your hometown is not a mall in your hometown. And people care um, who plays first base much more than they care whether Lord and Taylor or Nordstrom's are in your, you know, kind of corner of, of your mall. And I, I always felt like they never got fully invested in that, element of it, even though they, they've done a ton of great stuff um, philanthropically uh, through the Nats in, in the area. Um, I just felt that that didn't quite click. And that's as he, as he dies, I'm kind of left there wondering, you know, if they go through with a sale, that the ownership feels much more transactional than it does, you know, an investment in the community, which is not to say that they didn't do a great, you know, the offices that you guys are sitting in right now, they didn't exist before the learners bought the nationals yeah. and, and that, that area exploded. So this might um, be a learner building. I know the one on M street is possible. There's fewer learner buildings down there than you would think, but, but it's not none. And you know, somebody has got to lead the way and the ball team definitely, definitely led the way I, the, the site for the stadium was determined before the learners bought it, but a lot of good came out of that. I'm just, I just think it's odd, my feeling, and I didn't know that I would feel this way last week before he passed, but it's it's just odd to have somebody who lived almost a century and accomplished as much as Ted Lerner did, and I can't say, okay, bullet point, here's his legacy, full stop right now. I think, like when you said it earlier about he, he would build stuff to hold on to, and like I heard someone say yesterday that, uh, they say most owners buy baseball teams uh, or buy professional teams to be known, but that's not his way. So was it an investment they made? And then when they got into it, it was like a little odd and awkward for them because it's not what he really li like. He didn't like the spotlight. Whether you like the spotlight or not, if your team's not winning, people start talking about the owner. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Brian, that, that um, he didn't like the spotlight. So it is kind of an odd, it's not, it, you know, 
it wasn't an ego thing yeah. for him, which it was for a lot. And that's, it is for a lot of owners. And I think that's what leaves me a little bit conflicted. Like if it wasn't an ego thing um, and you don't need to make your money from the, the sports team. Now that doesn't, you know, I'm not arguing you should lose money and be fine with it. That That's not for any of us to say, even if the people are worth billions, billions of dollars, but it felt like when, because he was private and because he didn't want the spotlight, that this was, an investment in his hometown, an investment for his family, an investment for those future um, generations mm-hmm. to have fun with, to be in the community, to provide entertainment um, for for our city. And if you sell it, you know, 17 years later, that's 17 years is a long time in anybody's life. But it's in, in ownership of a sports franchise. It's really not that long. Um, it just it just feels like it's counter to the way he did everything else. Um, and I think if, if the learners were, had not said they were exploring a sale and they were just, you know, diving into another, you know, necessary rebuild and, and could say, we've done this before, we're going to do it again, then I would feel much differently. And I think I would say, this is Ted Lerner's legacy, um, you know, colon and have an explanation. And I'm just, I'm just not there because the, the situation is so uncertain. So, talking with our friend Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post, you can give him a follow at Barry Sverluga. I think he's got a chat coming up a little later today at WashingtonPost.com. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know the situation at all. I, I know that Lerner, Ted Lerner passed. He's 97 years old. <clears throat> How big of a part of this decision to potentially sell the team, and now it looks like it might not happen, but... Was that his call? Was that those younger than him? I, I I have seen and talked to people in pro sports ownership, not necessarily baseball, but just all of it. Um, whereas, you know, you go from a, a patriarch of a family further down the family line and you've got, you know, I have no idea what the learners have. So I'm just speaking hypothetically here. Six, eight grandkids and they're all married and then they have families. Like you, you see these things. Like I've talked to friends of mine in private equity that when they try to target properties to purchase is when it gets to the grandchild level because a lot of them just want the cash. They're like, nah, we'll take our payout now. Um, how big of a part in the decision to sell was Ted? And where does the sale go from here? So you're reading it hypothetically correctly. Um, I mean, that's a, a good observation about how difficult it gets when it's not the the single patriarch or matriarch that's that's overseeing things um and i people at baseball long before ted Lerner was was ill even when um ted you know formally transferred kind of voting power uh, um with the league to his son mark which was in 2018 that it just gets more complicated when there's not a single voice the learners have always done things by consensus um ted Lerner had three children mark Deborah Cohen and Marla Tannenbaum, um, they're the two uh, daughters' husbands, um, Ted's sons-in-law are involved in the ownership group. And that conglomerate would get together and hash things out. And they very, very much wanted to come to a unified decision on everything, convince each other and have a, a unified voice, voice going forward on, on whatever it is. And, when Ted was alive, even after he passed control to Mark, he, he was that 
guiding voice. I, I called him in my column. He he was their North Star. I mean, and, and they they even if he was formally removed from that decision making role, his voice carried the the most weight. So I think it's very legitimate um, to wonder what will happen now because he was, and according to people that I've talked to throughout this process, Ted was an advocate for selling the team. And when Ted was an advocate for something, it made it much easier for everybody else to fall in line behind that. Mark Lerner has always been the most outgoing fan of the team, the, the, the face of ownership in a way. He sits in the stands most frequently. He used to shag fly balls, uniform, right? Yeah, and shag fly balls. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he was just like over the top into it. Um, I've talked to people in the last week as, as Ted's health was declining, um, you know, wondering what, what would Mark, if he's now handed the torch, would, would he say, you know what, I love owning this team. Um, I want to reinvest, you know, energy and resources into, into rebuilding it. And I want to be able to hand it to the next generation. Some people think, yeah, absolutely. That's on the table. Other people think, that would be going directly against the wishes of his late father and Mark wouldn't be able to stomach that, which, which is understandable too. So I, I just think all of it's so fresh that it's impossible to say, I don't, I, I think I don't, I don't think the learners know what they think about that yet. Um, and then, you know, we're still in the next month, hopefully getting to a point where massing gets a little bit less tangled or, or a little bit more untangled. Um, and we might get a little bit more clarity about what's even possible with the sale after that. Without being a jerk, how do you untangle? I, I, I don't so, want to be morbid here, but like, as long as Angelos is around, I don't see that thing getting untangled. So here's here's the thing. There's a, a I mean, and I don't want to get super in the weeds on this, but um, but on March 14th, there's a, a a case on the docket in a court in New York in which an, an Orioles appeal will be heard that. If the ruling is upheld, the Nationals will know what the Orioles owe them for the seasons 2012 to 2016. The, the theory is that if they know what that revenue is, they can project, okay, we're not going to go through court on the next five-year chunk, which is 2017 to 21. And, and a Ted Leonsis can look at it and go, okay, now I know what my revenues are. I have certainty. I know what I'm buying. I can predict the future a little bit better. So it's not untangled from, you know, uh, a Leonsis group is is going to own their rights, but they at least would have some revenue certainty, which is a huge thing in baseball because, it, you know, JP, the the commanders don't have to worry about local media rights because right. the national media rights in the NFL, is it, that's what it's all about. It's different in baseball. You've got to be getting that cash from, from whoever's broadcasting your games locally. Got it. Um, I want everybody to check it out. Uh, Barry has an article up from the Washington Post ranking the buzziest spring trainings for the Nats in 18 seasons, I imagine this is uh, this is non-alcoholic beer buzz, dude. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like water from the tap. Yeah, um, yeah and it, this is Dan Steinberg, our friend, um, who's now my editor and should be writing, uh, but isn't. Definitely um, should be writing. He he came. He said, "Why don't you?" He said last week, "You know, this is probably the worst." the least buzz, this is, we probably ranked, you know, their successful seasons and what was best, what was most exciting, but it is an interesting exercise um, to go through. Um, you know, there, this is the 19th spring training now uh, dating back to 2005. I, I happen to be the beat writer in Oh five and I'm, you know, biased, but the numbers would play it out. They still haven't outdrawn the 2.7 million that came to RFK that that's, 
summer. If you take 33 summers without baseball and suddenly bring it back, like it almost didn't matter what the product on the field was. That was going to be um, a really highly anticipated thing. And then there's, you know, like I said, it, there's a decade there where, um, you know, you go from 2013 where Davey Johnson is saying World Series or bust, and, and you go to 2015 when Bryce Harper's asked um, what his reaction to the signing of Max Scherzer was, and he said, you know, where's my ring? Like, there, there were a lot of years there where there were so many characters and so much anticipation and so many expectations that it was really exciting. And now you've got to transport yourself back to, you know, if you were one of those ardent fans who were there and oh nine and 10 and and we're saying okay like can i oh ian desmond he looks like he might be a fun guy to, to root for over the years or i'm latching into jordan zimmerman you know that's that's where we're at now um contention feels so so far away and you've got to be a pretty good baseball fan to to understand there's going to be a lot of losing this summer um i'm interested in the development of Mackenzie Gore and Kate Cavalli and C.J. Abrams and, and all these young guys. Let's hope they develop. Uh, Barry, yeah, thank definitely. you for the time. Appreciate we, didn't, you, Barry. we didn't get to talk to commanders, but maybe we'll pick your brain next week or, or sometime soon. Thanks, dude. Yeah, if they have an OC, give me a call. <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> all do. right, got We'll you. do. Um, and so while Nat's spring training may lack any buzz, if you're trying to buy or sell a house right now, there's only one buzz you need. John Leahy will get the job done. I've talked to you so many times about John, how he could get you more money and you have a lot of buyers in waiting. Well, I'm going to tell you another thing. I went on the John's uh, website myself, and I wanted to see what the value of my house was. And as I've heard somebody else say, I, I never wanted to sell it, but I'm thinking about wanting to sell it now because you know what? You don't know how much the value of your home is until you're going in and you put your address in. You want to tell me you want a cash offer? Do you want to try and sell your house or anything of that nature? It's wild. I, I just clicked on all the stuff, and I went through it. I'm like, well, damn. I can sell this house, and I can be off and running and go do something else. I'm talking about John Leahy and the Fine Living Group of EXP Realty. Go to johnsellsdmv.com, and you hit the home valuation tool. You can find out what your home value is in seconds. And I'm going to tell you, you may not be wanting to sell, but once you see that value, you may just jump and change your mind. John's offer you flexible fees, customized to your needs, and he knows that life happens, so if needed, he will let you out of your contract at any time. I mean, it, it is wildly easy to go to this home value tool and find out. B, if you sold your home in in Northern Virginia and moved back to Louisiana, how much money would you just be able to put in your pocket? I would be very, very nice, but I don't know if I want to go back to Louisiana. I'm, I'm just saying, I love man. going to visit, but it's a little slow. <laughs> <laughs> Check The website is super easy to do this, and it's a wild tool. And I, I think... Seriously, if you're curious, just something to have fun with, go check it out. Um, I also want to tell you, John has a guaranteed sale program, and it could be a home run for you. He guarantees the sale of your home, or he'll buy it himself. Check out this home valuation tool, man. It is really crazy and gets you wondering about a lot of things. Maybe if I convince my wife, we just moved to North Carolina, I do the show remotely for the rest of my life. Call John today, 301-900-3052. Go online to johnsellsdmv.com. Or what's even easier, just Google John Leahy Group and start packing. Two pieces of news coming at you right now. From Capitals PR, Washington Capitals Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan announced today that Captain Alex Ovechkin will be away from the team to attend a family matter and the health of a loved one. We are not going to speculate. We're going to send all of our best to Ovi and his family. Yes. 
Take the time you need, sir. You've done enough for us. You take the time you need. Period. Nothing else to say there unless you want to add something. That's it. Moving forward, we've talked a lot about Eric Bieniemy being a candidate for the commander's offensive coordinator job. The other job often linked to Bieniemy as an OC. Now, maybe this there'll be some craziness and he gets a head coaching opportunity, but as an OC, as an offensive coordinator, the other job he's been linked to repeatedly has been Baltimore. Well, Landfill, the Baltimore Ravens have hired Todd Munkin from the University of Georgia. Ravens hired Todd Munkin to be their offensive coordinator. Schefter just had that news. Maybe the Ravens announced it themselves. I don't know where it came from. But what that does is takes away one of the seat. There's fewer seats at the at the dinner table here. It sure looks like the Cardinals job is going one direction. I maybe just maybe this be enemy thing happens. How do you feel about the be enemy hire in Washington? I have no feeling. I mean, I, I think I'm going to wait and see what happens. That's the thing I deal with this team. I think a lot of times we speculate things just like we started talking about the uh sale of the team and we went to everyone started talking about parties and parades and everything else, and we're still waiting. When it happens, I'll celebrate or not celebrate I think if it doesn't happen. You got to wonder if the Cardinals are going to hire Jonathan Gannon, that would make this entire NFL hiring cycle, I believe, and we could try to run through all the jobs. I know D'Amico Ryan's got a job in Houston. Mm-hmm. Has another minority candidate gotten a job? Not that I know of. Right, I mean, whether the shining, whatever his name Stiking got the job, got the in um in the Colts. Frank Wright got the Panthers. Yep. Who else got blown out? Um, uh, Peyton got yeah, Sean Peyton got the Denver got job. Denver at eighteen million. Must be nice. Yes, indeed. Um, no changes out west. Raiders, no change. Dallas, no change. Houston went to Ryan's. Um. Saints stuck with Dennis Kelly, right? They didn't make a move. Yeah, Tampa stuck with Todd. I, I got to figure that is not a great look for the NFL. May, and the, the NFL don't care about what, what that look is. They they always they've, they've they proven to not they care. talk a very good game. They have done. They have no actions. They don't do a lot of actions. Todd Munkin goes from UGA to Charm City. Don't go anywhere. Pete Haley joins the program next. 